that she and Mark had watched with Jimmy DeYoung. Jimmy DeYoung is in heaven now, but he was a great prophecy teacher. He was also a journalist that lived in Israel for a while. And I had uh, seen him preach at um, Grace Gospel Church in Huntington and uh, before he died. And he, is just a, he was a prince of a guy. And so a lot of that of information I, I received from that documentary and some other sources uh, helped me put this together tonight. So I always want to make sure that I put that out there. And if you get the opportunity, and if you have Tubi, T-U-B-I, it's free. If you have a smart TV, it's free. You can go on Tubi, and you can look up Jimmy DeYoung, and it's called Esau and the Palestinians. And it is wonderful, and I would highly recommend you watch it. And it was filmed years ago, but it's still very appropriate today with you know some updates here uh, since he's gone on to be with the Lord. Two nations in the womb. Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 26. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first one came out red, he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward his brother came out, and his hand took a hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, this is the origin. We have to lay out for you, how did all this begin? Where did this begin? Why did this begin? We have to go back to the Bible and see the answer to these questions. In, this, in our text, we find that, that Isaac had prayed because his wife, his wife, Rebecca, was barren. Now, I find it interesting because Isaac's mother was also barren. You remember the story? She was barren, and she had to wait on God, and she had to trust God, and finally they got the promised son. But we find Isaac's wife is barren, so he goes to the Lord, and he pleads, pleads with the Lord on behalf of his wife. Now, what's this. She, receive, she uh, conceives. Now, let me just say, be careful what you ask for because she conceived twins. So twins. And it's interesting. While they were in the womb, the struggle began. Look at verse 22. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire the Lord. There's, they're, they're struggling, they're fighting inside her womb. And she says, if, all, if, I'm, if I'm healthy and I'm well, why, why, is, why is this happening? So she went to the Lord and she went to inquire the Lord. And the Lord said to her, this is his answer, and his answer is a prophecy. Now there are four things he says here. Four things he says in this prophecy. The first thing he says is there are two nations in your womb. Two nations. Every word matters in the Bible. Not just two people, but two nations. Secondly, he said, there are two peoples that shall be separated from your body. There's two nations, two peoples will be separated from your body. Number three, one people will be stronger than the other, 
And the fourth thing he tells her is the older shall serve the younger. The older will serve the younger. Now, this answer from God was a prophecy, and that prophecy is still being fulfilled today. We read and we see that these two boys were born. They came out, indeed, they were twins. Esau came out first. Jacob had a hold of Esau's heel. They named Esau Esau because he was red and hairy. Esau means hairy. He was very hairy. And the second son, Jacob, came out. He had a hold of Esau's heel. Jacob means supplanter. Supplanter actually means to usurp the place of through intrigue or underhanded tactics. Now, as we go further, you'll see that his name fit him to a T. His name fit him to a T. But what I want you to see in this is this breaks every custom of that day. The custom of that day is this, and we're going to talk about the birthright and then the blessing in just a moment. But the custom of the day was that the older received the birthright and the older also received the blessing. And you all know the story, and we're going to go through the story here in just a moment, and we'll see it. But before we go there, I'd like for you to turn with me to Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and it'll be on the screen for you, because I want you to see something here, and I want you to keep this in your mind as we go through this study. It's very important. So Malachi uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and following. Now, I'm reminded of the old country preacher. He was preaching, and he was trying to tell someone where to find a book of the Bible, and he looked up and he said, people, it's somewhere between Job and Malachi. And so every time I read Malachi, I think of Malachi. But it's Malachi. Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we, will have, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Now, why do I bring this up? Because I want you to see this. It's important that you understand that God sovereignly chose Jacob, not Esau. You say, why did he do that? Because he's God. I don't know. I can't tell you that, that and no one else can tell you why. But no one has to know why, because we just know that the Bible teaches us that God sovereignly chose Jacob, not Esau. And as a result, as a result, there's going to be tension throughout the entirety of their lives and their, their uh, lives of their descendants and so on and so forth. But God chose Jacob. Now, can we go back to Genesis chapter 26? And I want you to see in verses 27 through 34, I want to talk about the birthright. Why am I telling you all this? Because all this is important information. Important information. So Genesis chapter 26, verse 27. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen the Lord is with you. <clears throat> and... So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you, and let's make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you. And since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now blessed of the Lord. 
So he made them a feast, and they ate. Then they rose early in the morning and swore an oath one another. Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass that day, Isaac's servants came and told him about a well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took wives Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, Basemoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Now, what I want you to see there is this. There's a, a separation that, that, that's taken place. There's a separation that's taken place. What happened to cause this separation? Well, first of all, I want you to see that Jacob was cooking a meal. And Esau was a hunter of the field, and he goes out into the field. And as he goes out into the field and he's hunting, and he comes back, he's famished. And Jacob has this stew going, and Esau's famished, and he says, Jacob, I'm, I'm starving. Give me something to eat. And Jacob says, sell me your birthright. And Esau says this about his birthright. Now listen, this is how much he thinks of his birthright. And you read in Hebrews, it says he sold his birthright for a, a piece of morsel of meat. He didn't care about his birthright. And so he says, sell me your birthright. What as good as my birthright if I'm going to die? He wasn't going to die. That's a little hyperbole there. He's just being a little dramatic. So he says, okay. And he swore to him his birthright. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And he ate and drank. And he went his way. Now watch this. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 25, in the last verse of that, cha of that chapter, he says, Thus es Esau despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. Well, that's not the only thing that happens. Later, Isaac is old in age. He could not see. His eyes were going dim, and he called Esau to himself. And he said, Esau, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the field, and I want you to get me some wild game, and I want you to fix it for me so I can enjoy it before I die, and I will give you the blessing. That's what he tells him. I'll give you the blessing. So what happens? Well, here's what happens. Rebecca hears Isaac tell Esau this. Now, I don't know about you all, but here... God has already told Rebekah that the older is going to serve the younger. But Isaac is still fixated on Esau being the blessing and the birthright. So here's what happens. Esau goes out to hunt, and Rebekah says, Jacob, this is what I want you to do. Jacob, I want you to go. And I want you to kill an animal, bring it to me. I'm going to fix it the way Isaac likes it. And we're going to put the hair of the animal on you. And you're going to go trick Isaac. And you're going to tell him you're Esau. And he's going to give you the blessing. So he goes in. His eyes are bad. He fixes it. They got this plan all laid out. They go in. And as they go in there, here's what happens. Isaac says, it feels like you, but it doesn't sound like you. Oh, yeah, I'm Esau. I'm Esau. And so he eats and he's filled and he's really feeling good. And he lays his hand on him and he gives him the blessing. 
Now, it's interesting because when Esau comes back in, Jacob is gone. And he comes in to tell his dad, I'm, I'm here, I brought everything. And he says, no, wait a minute, you're Esau? He said, you were just in here. And he said, I can't give you a blessing. I've already given you, I've already given the blessing to your brother. And he's like, are you kidding me? I'm here right now. Can't you give me a blessing? And he said, I can't. I can't give you a blessing. And finally, his dad gives him a blessing that really amounted to nothing. And he says, indeed, I have made him, this is Isaac speaking to Esau, your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants with grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall now I do for you, my son? He goes, you got to give me a blessing, Dad. So Isaac gives him a blessing, which, like I said, amounts to nothing. And in his blessing, he says something. In verse 40 of chapter 27 of Genesis, Isaac says this, By your sword you shall live. By your sword you shall live. Esau was a wild man. Verse 41, I want you to see this. In chapter 27 of Genesis, verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. It started in the womb. They come out of the womb. It transpires through their life. The birthright that was supposed to be Esau's, no, it wasn't. God had sovereignly chosen Jacob. The blessing that was supposed to be for Esau, no, it wasn't. It was for Jacob because God had sovereignly chose Jacob. And Esau hates Jacob and he says, I get the chance. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. In verse 28, I'm going through a lot of passages of Scripture here, but just hang with me. I want to tell you a story. In verse 28, or chapter 28, verse 9, excuse me, Esau went to Ishmael. Who remembers Ishmael? Who was Ishmael? Ishmael was Abraham's other son with, that was not supposed to be. He went in with his maiden and had a son. He went to Ishmael and married Ishmael's daughter. What he did. This is a recipe for disaster. Ishmael also was a wild man. All, listen to me, all of the Arabs come from Ishmael or through Esau. All of them. Now, as we continue on our story, there's a, we go to Genesis chapter 36. Genesis chapter 36, both are in the land of Canaan. And their, their, their herds are growing. The uh, cattle, the livestock is growing. And the land, the Bible says in verse 7, could not support them. In verse 8, so Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Now, Mount Seir is 
Petra is the capital, but Mount Seir would be in the southern third part of Jordan. How many of you have heard of Jordan, modern-day Jordan? How many of you have heard of Petra, that big rock city that has a seek, which is a narrow passageway in? That became the capital, and that's where the Edomites, Esau is Edom, that's where the Edomites came from. Jacob stays in, in Canaan. It's the promised land. God has promised Jacob. Jacob stays there. 37, chapter 37, verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. So we have this separation. But now I want to show you something that gets even more interesting. In Genesis chapter 36 and verse 12, now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. How many of you ever heard of Amalek? Amalek was an enemy to Israel. An enemy to Israel. Amalek is the grandson of Esau. The Amalekites were enemies all throughout the Bible. In Exodus chapter 17, I don't know if you remember this or not, but Moses had led the people out of the promised land. He comes to a place and the people are grumbling and they need water and he tells them to strike the rock. And they come to Rephidim and that's where Moses is confronted by Amalek. In, In Exodus chapter 17 verse 8, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now you're familiar with this passage. You remember when Moses was standing on the mountain and as long as he held his hands up, the armies would win. But when he got tired and he started to lower his arms, they started, the Amalekites started to win. So they put, they put Moses on a stone and Aaron and Hur got on one side and one held one arm up and the other held one arm up and they prevailed. They prevailed. They defeat the Amalekites. But of something of very important note we must make in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 16, God says this, The Lord will have war with Amalek, now pay attention, from generation to generation. The Amalekites, descendants of Esau, from generation to generation, the Amalekites are the Palestinians. From generation to generation. I say that repetitively so we really remember that. Some 500 years before the birth of Christ, the Nabataeans were brought into Petra uh, by the Edomites. They brought them to Petra because they wanted them, they were master carvers. And they actually carved these great columns and these massive structures in the stone. And they they carved what was the treasury for the Edomites. They also carved dwellings and temples in the rocks. And they were contracted. Well, about 300 years before the event happened in Obadiah, we're going to go all over the place tonight. I'm going to have you to go to Obadiah with me. It's the smallest book in the New Testament. If you go to Amos, you'll find Obadiah after Amos. And in verse 7, there's a prophecy 
about, about the Edomites at Petra. In verse 7, the scripture says, All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. The Edomites were so thankful that the Nabataeans had done all this work for them, they, they had a big party to celebrate. While they were having this party to celebrate, the Nabataeans took out their sword and killed all of the Edomites. Now there were some who didn't get killed that fled, they escaped, and they crossed over into southern Judah, and they became the Idumeans. Now you say, why are you telling me all this? Because it gets, it gets better. Just hang with me. The Idumeans. And they stayed there. Now I would like to take you to the New Testament. You have the Idumeans there. And there's a man of particular interest who is an Idumean whose name is Herod the Great. How many of you have heard of Herod the Great? He is an Idumean and he is the king. He is also a descendant of Esau. In Luke chapter 21, if you'll go there with me, Luke 21, 24, and we covered, we talked about this during the Olivet Discourse uh, in Matthew, but we didn't read 21, 24. Jesus speaks a prophecy concerning Israel, and he says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. We know this happened in 70 A.D. What happened was the Jews and the Idumeans joined forces to fight the Romans, and they failed. They failed. Now, the Jews were dispersed to the four corners of the earth, the Bible says. But the Idumeans were dispersed to the Balkans and to Bosnia. Two nations. Just as God had prophesied 2,000 years later than this event that occurs, in 1917, the British and the Turks are fighting and the British overthrow the Ottoman Empire, which was the Turkish Empire. At that time, the Turkish Empire had ruled the Middle East. Britain defeats them. It was said the day of the surrender of the Ottoman Empire, it was going to take place in Jerusalem, and they would surrender to the British general Edmund Allenby. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung says in his, his uh, documentary that he rode a white horse and he rode up to the gate, the Jaffa gate. But he would not ride his white horse in, to the, in through the gate. And they said, well, why won't you ride your horse into the city, old Jerusalem? And he said, I will not ride a white horse through the gate. That is reserved for my Lord and my Savior. So he surrenders, or they surrender to General Edmund Allenby. And while he was there, he wanted to put a mayor for the city of Jerusalem. 
So he looks around and he finds the highest ranking Muslim cleric at the time who is Husseini al-Husseini. Now he makes him the mayor of Jerusalem and while he was installing him as the mayor of Jerusalem, he notices an 11-year-old boy that is there with him. He said, that's a cute boy. Is that your son? No, it's my nephew. That's my nephew. And my nephew is um, here. In 1935, that little boy, the nephew, Haji Amin Husseini, made his pilgrimage to Mecca. All Muslims want to make that pilgrimage. While he's there, he gains stature, he gains education, he comes back, and he is named the Mufti of Israel. The Mufti was the head Muslim in Jerusalem. Now, what does this have to do with anything? In the 1940s, he was contacted by Hitler. Hitler sent him a message and said, If you really want to exterminate all the Jews, come over here to Berlin and we will help you. We will work together. So, Husseini made his way to Berlin. And at the time, Hitler had the most powerful radio station in the world at that time, over 100 or 1 million megawatt power, whatever, and reached so many people. And he said, what we'll do is we'll put you on this radio station and we'll broadcast around the world and you call all the Muslims to action to help you exterminate the Jews. While they were there, Husseini went and inspected Hitler's army. And there was a section in Hitler's army that he used quite extensively that were Bosnian fighters. Remember, the Idumeans fled to Bosnia. They said he would form an arm, a, a, a formation in which they had a V, and in the middle of the V would be these fierce Bosnian fighters. While Husseini's there, Hitler tells Husseini of the Idumeans who were sent over to um, they were sent over to Bosnia, and he hears about these these uh, warriors, and he goes to Bosnia and sees them, and he brings those warriors, the Idumeans, the trace all the way back to Esau, back to Jerusalem to fight against Israel. In 1948 in Latrun, the place of the major battle, Latrun at that time was a, an Arab police station or military post, and they blocked all of the Jews that wanted to come in. That's where the war of 1948 took place, and the Jews won. The Edomites from Bosnia joined the Muslims to try to defeat the Jews, but they failed. Hajj Amin Husseini had a nephew. His nephew at the time grew up and took over the Palestinians 
and you would know him as Yasser Arafat. Yasser Arafat, we all know well, led the Palestinians until the time of his death in which Mahmoud Abbas took over, which is Yasser Arafat's nephew, which is from Esau. Now what I find interesting about this is Mahmoud Abbas has a son named Yasser. He named his son after his uncle Yasser Arafat. Two nations, the Jews and the Palestinians. The Palestinians have made war with Israel from generation to generation. The news will not tell you this. They have called for the extermination of the Jews. They linked up with Hitler and all the atrocities that he did from generation to generation. Two, two, two nations. I even forgot to mention King Ashuarius when they fled to Persia. And you know the story. Remember uh, Haman who couldn't stand the Jews and couldn't stand Mordecai because Mordecai would not even... Uh, bow down when he told him to. And, and Mordecai said, I bow to nobody but God. I'm not bowing to you. And it ate Haman up. And he devised this plan and he built a gallow. And the way things would happen, he was hanged on the gallow that he had made for the Jews. Haman was a son of King Agag. How many remember who King Agag is? Remember when Saul... Saul was told by God to wipe out all of the Amalekites. And he said, I did. And Samuel said, well, why do I hear? He said, I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. I want you to destroy their property. I want you to destroy their cattle, everything. You utterly destroy them. Samuel confronts him. He said, I did. And Samuel says, why do I hear the sheep bleeding? And they found out that they still had King Agag. Do you know that King Agag was an Amalekite? Yes, he was. King Agag was grandson to Amalek. Esau, all the way down. Every, every nation that's tried to fight the Jews, generation to generation to generation, descends from Esau. Two nations... How will this conflict be settled? I find it amusing, and I don't mean to, I'm not being smug and I'm not being arrogant, but it cracks me up that every, every American president thinks that he is going to bring peace to, in the Middle East. And he's not. There was a book uh, that when... Uh, the, the first George, uh, first George Bush was president. He was going to meet for a peace accord, and there was like there, there's all these national or uh, natural phenomenon that's taken place. Like there's been they're going to have these uh, peace accords, and there's like hurricanes and tornadoes and stuff always happens. It's not going to be resolved by man. 
It's going to be resolved by a man. And I'd like to ask you just as we conclude to go to Obadiah. Obadiah. And I want to read in, in, in the first 14 verses of Obadiah are historical. But starting in 15 and following is a prophecy. And this prophecy has to do with Edom. The Edomites. And all. Notice this, verse 15. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done it, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken." What's going to solve the conflict? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting is it says here, For as you drank on my holy mountain, it wasn't a physical act of drinking liquor. But as Proverbs teaches us that when you look on the wine or when it moves awry, it has to do with the cup of trembling. And it means to be intoxicated with power. Those who control Jerusalem before the Lord's coming, second coming, are intoxicated with power. Uh, Jimmy DeYoung also tells a story of when he was in Israel. He was a journalist. And Bill Clinton was the president of the United States at the time. And he came over and visited and the mayor of Jerusalem at that time was going to take him. He said, I want to see Temple Mount. And he said, I'll take you to Temple Mount. At that time, Yasser R. Arafat put armed guards on the temple and would not let President Clinton. He was intoxicated with power, Jimmy DeYoung said, because Jimmy DeYoung was there with him. And he said this, this Arafat who was over the Palestinians, who was not over power, or by any means powerful enough to overpower the United States of America. And Bill Clinton at the time was probably the most powerful man in the world. And he stopped him from coming up on top of the Temple Mount. But I will tell you this, there's one coming who will touch feet on the Mount of Olives. No armed guard will stop him. No, no Edomites will prevent him. No, Al, no Husseini, no, no one will stop him. And when he comes, he will deal with the house of Esau. But I want you to see something. I think there's a progression here. This is my thought. I can't prove it. But in, he will give Jacob, and remember, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. He said, you're Israel now. 
He wanted us to know it's a nation. God will give the nation of Israel the promised land. Then he will destroy Esau and all the Edomites. He will destroy them. I almost think he wants them to see before he destroys them, it was their land. It was, it was Israel's land. And the scripture says, And no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Esau, Amalek, Agag, Haman, Herod the Great, Husseini al-Husseini, Haji Amin al-Husseini, Yasser Arafat, Mahmoud Abbas, all the way down. Generation to generation, there'll be war with each other until God sovereignly steps in at the second coming of Christ and destroys once and for all the Edomites. Some people have said that we do not care about the Palestinian people. I would love for the Palestinians to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I would love to find a missionary taking the gospel to the Palestinians. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. God said in Jeremiah 49, 18... That Esau, the Edomites, will be as Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what God said. So we don't hate the Palestinians. I know there are Palestinians who perhaps want peace. But the scripture tells us that the conflict started in the womb and has two nations that will be at war generation to generation until the second coming of Christ. I can't for the life of me figure out why any world leader thinks he would be able to broker a peace deal between them. Obviously, they probably don't believe the Bible. Two nations at war generation to generation until the Lord comes back and ends the conflict. Maybe our prayer, as we also pray for Jerusalem as we should, the peace of Jerusalem, but maybe we too should be praying that the Palestinians would come to faith in Christ. You want to know something interesting? The Palestinians are Gentiles. If they come to faith in Christ, they would be part of the church. They would never be Israel. They would never be Jews. Those Palestinians that come to faith in Christ would be part of the church. And they would avoid this destruction. Two nations are in your womb. There will be war between these nations from generation to generation until the Lord comes back. Let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem and let's pray that the Palestinians will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you.